Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hey folks, before we dive into this show, we would like to acknowledge that we are not medical professionals and that what you're hearing is not medical advice. Please seek a doctor for your needs. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. We are very glad to have you here. My name is Jay Allen Cross, also known as at Oregon Wood Witch on Instagram. I am here with my co-host... Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on Instagram. Jay, how are you doing? I am doing really good today, actually. You know, spring has finally sprung here. My allergies have only tried to kill me once, which is great. I'm, I'm calling that a win. But I am very, very excited for today yes. because we have a very special guest. Now, this is a person that you brought to us um, you started talking about her a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, who is this person? We need to have them here. Uh, mm-hmm. Because historically, and kind of something that's ingrained in witchcraft, is that witches have always been kind of on the front lines when it comes to contraceptive work, womb health, standing up for those who do have wombs and need, um, you know, care and health access to everything that comes with that. And so I thought this was a perfect, perfect guest to have on here. Do you want to tell them about who we have? We are introducing today Samantha Zephora, and she is a womb witch, author, and activist. And today we are here to talk about uh, womb health, womb stuff. And really, I'm just going to like hand it over to you, Sam. How are you? Welcome. I am I am well. I just put a, another log on the fire and it's really lovely to see your faces. Um I've been listening to your podcast this morning. I think I've listened to almost all of your episodes by the way. And I'm just excited to hang out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe if I go on their podcast, I just can hang out with these cool witches. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're really stoked to have you here. And I am really excited about our conversation today. So um, we usually like to start off with introductions, uh, what your pronouns are, what your astrological sign is. Oh, Very yeah. curious about that. Um, I use she, her, and lady pronouns. I am a Cancer Sun, a Leo Moon, and a Pisces Rising. My chart is like, I think I have no Earth in my chart. I am water, 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 Mm. and a little bit of fire, which is witches. (laughs) (laughs) Witches, witches. (laughs) Witches. Yeah. There's a lot of adaptation in one chart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds steamy too. It's a I very think of- steamy. There's, you know, a lot of transformation going on with water and fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So with your cancer sun sign, I find that a lot of cancer folks are caretakers and yeah. like help facilitate care for other folks. So that's really yeah. cool um, that you do this work and that we're going to get into a conversation about what it is that you do. So what do you do? What do I do? I mean, right now, tending to the fire (laughs) Um, and staring at screens and writing Mm -hmm. is a lot of my time. Um, There's, you know, sleeping and lots of sex and lots of food also, lots of cooking. Um, Mm -hmm. And as far as money, I've been so blessed to have my Patreon community Uh, really holding it down for me through the pandemic so that I am primarily a writer right now. Um, I do have a mentorship, a womb witch mentorship program with a very select few individuals. Um, And I do one-on-one sessions with my patrons occasionally. Like I do a couple days a week of client work, but I'm mostly in this really deep creative process with trying to refine and articulate my offerings and 
um, we were speaking before we started recording and I have, I have 24 years of journals (laughs) right now that, um, I'm contemplating like how I'm going to be synthesizing and integrating. So, um, Mm -hmm. in the past I've been a birth doula, I've been a student midwife, I have been an employee and a volunteer at Planned Parenthood. Um, and I've got about 23 years of experience uh, tending to the womb, tending to the whole continuum of the womb with deep curiosity and deep spiritual respect. It's, yeah, so that's a bit of what I do. <laughs> Rad. You know, I just had like a memory moment. I think I heard of your work years and years and years ago through a friend in Eugene. Oh, cool. When I I lived in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. I think that's where I I had heard of somebody in like Colorado or something like that, or maybe it was somewhere, somewhere in the Western States. And I was like, hmm. So it's interesting that I have finally connected with you in this way. Very like this lifetime, maybe last two, but like we've been in concentric circles around each other for over a decade, I think. Um, And so I grew up in Boise, Idaho, and I spent my last three years there. And I was in Portland, Oregon for almost the entirety of my 20s on birth as a doula. Okay. We definitely probably bumped into each other and didn't know it at some point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And yeah, one thing I wanted to circle back to is like when th- people think of like full-time witchery or like doing full-time witch work, they often think, yeah, you're just like casting spells and like petting your cat all day and things like that. It's like, no, I'm behind a laptop pretty much all the time. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's just the millennial thing. And I, I actually, you know, I'm very... I'm trying to be curious and imaginative Mm -hmm. rather than uh, fatalistic and depressed about this tool, this screen and um, like how I use my body with it and like learning to use voice command more, I think is one of my pieces right now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of fucking rage uh, that I feel sitting, looking at a screen for like, majority of waking life that that's really inappropriate use of my body and my existence Mm. yeah (laughs) like like i just will be like working and it's lovely and but you know just periodically i just have these moments where my animal body is just like (laughs) and then you know i live on a mountain now so i can just like run around outside immediately and anyway that's that's a bit divergent but you know it all circles back um yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. We do laptop work as as witches for sure. We do. We do. <laughs> now, in your work, you're talking about being a womb witch. Can you can you define that work for us and kind of what that means? Well, enjoying the term witch as a gosh, dang it! I'm like, it's so hard to articulate some of these things, which I've felt anxiety like preparing for this interview and in that I haven't really spoken publicly about yeah. being a witch so much and um, just so impressed. I just want to like applaud you both for the braveness and that you've spoken also vulnerably about having imposter syndrome and like how weird it is to get in front of a massive anonymous audience and be like, this is my spiritual practice. <laughs> right. So, Um, for me, I'm, you know, I'm very skilled. I'm very adept and I'm, I'm fluent in the language of the womb and the alchemy of spirit and matter that is inherent to that part of the body. And I feel like being a witch and witchcraft in so many ways is being someone who is able to communicate and moderate between the realms Mm -hmm. And so I help tend to that process throughout the entire continuum, you know, from the beginning of menstruation, from menarche, through menopause, through our orgasms and our yeast infections and all of the different types of pregnancy releases we have. Um, 
I'm not very specialized in that continuum. It's very broad, um, mm-hmm. though I was really focused on pregnancy care for a long time um, because it was how I did capitalism. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot there. I don't know. Is that defining of, of which, womb which? Yeah, that wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that was great. That. Yeah, thanks. I think that was a great descriptor of what you do. <sighs> Um, so one question we like to ask all of, uh, the folks that we have here on the show as guests is, um, I always like to kind of go back to, um, like our earliest moments of witchcraft and like our earliest experiences, uh, is children with witchcraft, uh, and like with spirit and that movement. Um, so what was your earliest memory of doing witchcraft? And I guess really like, what was your, oh shit moment? Did you have one? (sighs) Um, it's really tricky. I feel like, um, so I don't have a lot of memories from my early childhood because it was really traumatic. Mm -hmm. And I definitely have some memories of a particular ghost that as an adult, I feel like is the main ghost haunting my mother, who is a very sick person. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember seeing her in the hallway and trying to keep boundaries with her Mm. like elementary school ish. And I had a lot of synesthesia from a really young age and like was fluent in the language of symbolism and just was able to experience different visuals and textures with language in a way that I knew wasn't normal for everybody. And then really my mother's hysterectomy, right? So when they surgically removed my mother's uterus, right? The thing that I came inside of with this manifestation, I had a really powerful existential crisis at age eight (laughs) around my mother's hysterectomy. And um, so that was, those are kind of earlier memories Mm -hmm. and my oh shit moment was this beautiful dream that I had of being pregnant with an owl. Oh my God. I just got chills. Uh, Oh yes. Yeah. And so I, you know, I was pregnant with this owl and it was a very violent, scary dream. The owl had very sharp talons and a sharp beak and it was just a baby now, but if it grew any larger, it would eviscerate me. And I, I definitely could not birth it vaginally without being completely torn up. And I was horrified of having a cesarean and it was just a very disturbing dream. And I went to school the next morning and was like still between the veils and really not present and my witchiest friend at the time was like Sam what's wrong what's going on where are you and I told her about this dream and she looked at me and she said Sam I'm having an abortion on Friday and I haven't told anybody (sighs) hadn't told her family or her lover Um, and so yeah I was 15 or 16 and she was 17 or 18 uh, and that that was my first experience intimately supporting somebody through the process of an abortion was being mm-hmm. her companion. I wasn't allowed into the procedure, which later in my life, I've done a lot of uh, work being companion and doula. Yes, I did identify as a doula for a long time um, in the actual procedures and in the clinical room. But, um, you know, we did tarot and, I think we got high and listened to Ani DeFranco and ate popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my oh shit moment was the owl dream and having her be like, oh, wow, you dreamt my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's such a deep connection to have with that person too, to kind of experience that in such a way. When you're doing the the abortion companion work, what does that usually entail? And what is it like for mm-hmm. you to provide that service? Yeah. Um, So currently I'm not doing that work professionally or publicly anymore. Mm -hmm. I have definitely companioned a few loved ones 
in the last few seasons, but that pregnancy release care of any kind is actually not something that I'm doing for money anymore because of my experience around empathy and spirituality and sexuality and just how fucking deep that work is. Um, and that it's not a good way for me to participate in capitalism Mm -hmm. (laughs) for many years. Um, for many years, I was just helping everyone for free that came my way. And that was quite a few people for like the first decade or so of doing the work. And that looked like just really fucking practical support of like transportation, handholding, breathing and visualization assistance and nutrition and herbs Um, And really, you know, holding this space for it to be a rite of passage and a sacred act, Um, certainly crafting ritual and um, releasing the spirit with respect and providing accountability for that process of integration uh, was a lot of the work I was doing. And I, you know, professionalized my abortion doula care Um, after I'd already been doing it for a decade and not calling it that and not getting paid for it. And I worked professionally for, I want to say like four or five years in that capacity. And it really, it's such a huge span of, you know, when did they contact me? Had they already made a decision? Did they contact me before or after the process? Um, Mm -hmm. What method were they using to end the pregnancy? Um, very, mm-hmm. very individualized and nuanced. That's so beautiful. No matter what it is that we go through in this life, just having another human there with us is so helpful and important. And so that's, that's wonderful work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. There are definitely moments um, like where I've had to go to Planned Parenthood for a procedure or just services where I was like, God damn it, I really wish I could have somebody with me right now. But so many uh, folks with wombs like go through all this alone. And the work that you do is like, so needed. So yeah, thank you for doing it. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. And this shift has been really beautiful and powerful with with the support of Patreon in particular in the way that I've been able to be writing and teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, And mostly I'm teaching other practitioners how to hold this space and how to do this work. So it's like, instead of serving individual clients, I am now serving people who are going to then serve hundreds of clients. And that's really satisfying. So it's like, branching out. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking like the tendrils of a tree, like being able to touch like more space and occupy more space. I don't know if we really covered this, but how did you like, what was your first step? Like, how did you get into this work? What was like that? Has it just been there for you always? Or what was the moment where you like, where you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing? Uh, it's more like it's been there for me always. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I feel like I'd have to be both dumb and obstinate (laughs) not be doing this work. Uh, And I would say that it's been a very interesting, like top down journey in that my intellectual and political frameworks Mm -hmm. are what began as that tiny existential crisis eight-year-old I began deeply questioning what my mother and my sister and my community was telling me about what it meant to have a uterus, which was Mm. that it meant suffering. Yep. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this isn't right. Yep. So I thought that I could just learn from a book. Like my body was a machine and I would just learn how it worked and it would run properly. If only. (laughs) Right. So I started studying before I started bleeding, how my body worked. Um, Rosemary Gladstar, Herbal Healing for Women, was one of my first teachers. And Mm -hmm. and I started working at Planned Parenthood as like shortly after and studying to be a midwife at age 19. So it's, yeah, it's been 
I don't remember having consciousness of my uterus without having consciousness about how important it was that I connect with it and learn from it. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. yeah. It's just always been there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been fucking brutal and there's been a lot of blood too. Don't get me wrong. Right. Yeah. No, I imagine it cannot be an easy road. I mean, providing support for folks who are going through, uh, you know, traumatic events or just major life transitions and whatnot. Uh, Yeah, that's some tough work. So my next question for you, I'm so curious about this is like the, the question I really wanted to ask you is like what your thoughts are on the intersection of witchcraft and womb sovereignty, you know, and also like what is considered by some to be like that taboo art and skill of using herbal contraceptives. Because before we got on our call here today or the interview, um, Sam and I had been emailing back and forth and I told her of my experience using uh, wild carrot to kind of... Um, Help me move through my ovulation because I was having sex with somebody, unprotected sex with somebody at the time. And I used wild carrot to, um, to my knowledge, to help prevent pregnancy. And my experience with it was something I've used it before, but I have never had this experience. Like my uterine lining com- actually started to shed. I was, I was uh, very lightly spotting. It wasn't any blood, but it was pink. And um, then we got into this, I shared that with Sam, and then we got into this conversation about herbal contraceptives and the herbalist community and how it's still considered so taboo to, to know, have this knowledge. Like I've, there's a pamphlet out there in the herbal world that's like, kind of like a hidden secret pamphlet on herbal contraceptives. You know which one I... Which one I might be talking about? It's probably on my shelf back there. I have about half a dozen. And you know, I just wrote mm-hmm. another. Awesome. Great. But We're going to link, I, I link all your work in the show notes. Maybe. What's that? There's one called Hot Pants that I wonder if you're thinking about that. And there's another zine I have that's uh, the title of the zine is, If You Can Make a Cake, You Can Make an Abortion. that's a good title but no it wasn't either of those titles it was a really beautifully printed little zine pamphlet um i unfortunately can't remember the picture yeah if i can find it i don't have it anymore it was um tucked away at this like hippie commune that i lived in for a little while (laughs) um anyway kind of i kind of like derailed us from my primary question yeah um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on the intersection of witchcraft and womb sovereignty? Yeah, um, I mean, most powerfully, it is a declaration of internal authority mm-hmm. and a subverting of the dominant paradigm, a rejection of the church and state, or even dare I say, science, which mm. is also like a religious institution in our culture today. Yep. Um, which shouldn't even be a verb. It's an adjective, right? Like you can do science or it should be a verb rather than a noun is what I meant Mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyways. So yeah, the internal authority in terms of like, Hey, actually I get to use my consciousness and my will to moderate my relationship with the divine, which I believe that our procreative energy and our fertility is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, you know, scares the shit out of anybody who's in power. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, there's, there's a ton of historical, you know, anthropo- anthropological evidence around these, this cross-section between womb sovereignty work and plant medicine and witchcraft. And there's debate about, you know, like if were the people that were burned in the witch trials really witches? Right. Mm-hmm. Were they just midwives? Right. <laughs> Are all right. midwives witches? And like right. all of these questions are are problematic in, in this sort of dualistic thinking that is uh, like Cartesian, right? Where we look at the body as a machine 
almost, or like we have to be one or the other rather than yes. And, um, mm-hmm. so that was a little, I answered your tangent with a tangent. How about that? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Sovereignty, like internal authority being the primary thing that they have in common for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think is really powerful around both witchcraft and skilled womb sovereignty is the importance of our sensual uh, and subjective experience as a guide, right? Which is, again, it's like kind of synonymous with internal authority, but like, like such a fucking radical subversive thing to be like, actually, I know because I know what I feel like. Mm-hmm. I know because of my intuition, I know because of my relationship with source. And I know that actually my body is my relationship with source. Mm-hmm. I know that I have the power and the ability to embody and enact my will in this dimension. And I don't need an external authority to regulate that or give me permission. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's witchcraft. That is witchcraft, right? <laughs> this this ability to have that radical sort of self reliance, that personal autonomy, is I I think just a huge pillar in both of these worlds, whether it's womb sovereignty or witchcraft. That's the huge overlap there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much of like folk magic and witchcraft is derived from like deep need and not having access and being able to have that like sovereignty of yourself and your body is, is really important. Jay, you had a really awesome question. I do. I do. We already covered part of it, but I am interested um, in a couple of things. The first one is, uh, can you explain for our listeners and also for me, because I have no idea um, what the difference between um, midwife and doula, these two kind of titles, what, what's the difference there? Absolutely. Um, so I'm a big etymology geek and I am, this is super important because technically historically in the root of the word i am absolutely a midwife the the etymology of midwife is simply to be with women mm. it really mm. is a term for a companion it is not a term for a medical care provider it is not a term for an external authority it is not a term for somebody who has anything that resembles a profession that is sanctioned by the church or state or science. It is a companion for wombs processes. That is the etymology and the true meaning of a midwife. In our culture today, we have various credentialing systems that give people permission to spend time with other people while they are releasing pregnancies and get compensated with money and maybe have access to certain diagnostic tools within the hospital. So my training and my um, affiliation is with home birth midwifery, which is, you know, often called traditional midwifery. I'm using that in air quotes and it's like womb to tomb care, traditional medicine woman type Mm -hmm. healing. Um, But because of credentialing, today and because of liability culture, most people who are identifying as midwives and who have gone through the licensure and certification processes are not at all practicing in the way that midwives have practiced for thousands and thousands of years because they literally have to fill out paperwork that says that they took physical acts to interrupt the process of birth. And that's a whole other tangent, which just like literally the data collection that is necessary to maintain licensure interrupts the natural physical process of birth. Um, So midwife historically with woman, womb to tomb, traditional medicine woman in your village. Uh, Today there's home birth midwives, they're CPM certified professional midwives. And there's the nurse midwives who have had nursing training as well as midwifery training. um, And we often call them the medwives. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yes. I see. And usually they're hospital and clinic based. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are badass and do home birth with those credentials, uh, even though it pays way less. And then a doula, the etymology for doula is Greek for slave girl. Interesting. And it comes from the ancient Greek chambermaid. Mm. who would be literally taking away the piss or the afterbirth and tending to the bodily fluids of wealthy women. And so the, the term doula started becoming popularized as a professional birth companion, mostly going into the medical industry to be a companion in that belly of the beast, frankly. So doulas as a profession within our culture today um, has been happening since about the 80s. And they have their own set of credentials and protocols that are an appropriation of traditional skills and knowledge into a capitalist oppressive system. For the most part, (laughs) they're (laughs) fabulous fucking beautiful people that call themselves doulas and that work professionally as a doula. But, uh, I feel like there's serious problems in commodifying and making specialties out of these skills that are human rights to have access to and Mm -hmm. that the financial and credentialing systems that now uh, weigh on folks are uh, prevent access to care and skills and autonomy ultimately. So that's Absolutely. a little bit of a hot take. <laughs> we <laughs> love a good hot take around here. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Wow. Yeah, I just that's, learned. that's my hot take on midwifery and doula roles in our society. Then that there's plenty of badass witchy midwives and doulas that are fabulous, but that the system and the hierarchy yeah. that they are frequently complicit to are inherently abusive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. We love I, to take these medical yeah. things and just turn them into money making machines, <laughs> like these health mm-hmm. and wellness and healing. Yeah. Mm. These f- basic aspects of being a human. Mm-hmm. How do we regulate it and make a profit off of these things and make people think that they need help or permission? Yeah. Humans. A lot of that. Right. Oh, okay. <sighs> That is wonderful. 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 Okay. So I want to change gears here real quick. And this is one that I'm very curious about because right now, especially when it comes to um, trans inclusivity, you know, we're realizing that, you know, not all people with wombs are technically women. There's a lot of these suddenly things that we're, we're realizing and that we're kind of bringing to the forefront. And especially when it comes to witchcraft, especially right now, um, Mm. there have recently been, you know, there's been a book that's come out that's been very negatively reviewed um, Mm. as being very trans-exclusionary because they're talking about um, how all magic comes from the womb and therefore only women can, you know, practice and whatnot. Yeah. Matthew, yeah, question, Jay. Do you mind sharing the title of this book? You've mentioned it twice on the show. (laughs) Is that okay? Oh, God. you don't have to. There's a too much call out culture. You got to write an, a letter to the author first. You know, as someone who is also an author in the community, it's not yeah. great professionally to say, but let's be honest, if, if you just Google yeah. right now, Turfy Witch Book, it comes right up. Okay. It, it comes right up. Um, okay. And most people I, I feel know kind of which one I'm talking about right now. Um, so when it comes to womb witchery and womb yeah, sovereignty I mean, and all of this, where does, where does, um, you know, inclusivity come in, you know, and especially in your work and how, how do you feel? What's your takes here? I am just passionate that anatomy doesn't define gender and that our anatomy is a source of power, but is not the only source of power. <laughs> and that, I mean, I had actually this, really sweet trans woman came to one of my ovulation awareness classes really early on in my teaching career in Portland. And she was like, how do I do this? Like, how do I, you know, she sat through the whole class or was teaching people their primary fertility signals and how to tell when they ovulate. And with, I didn't even like bat an eyelash. I, I was just like, Oh, well you have the moon. Oh, mm-hmm. I love yes. that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I, f- 
I get unfriended and unfollowed by turfy people all the time who are extremely angry that in my writing and my speaking and my teaching, I am doing my utmost best to be inclusive in a way that speaks to anatomy in a way that is not gendered and allows any sort of an identity or sexual orientation to be able to access really clear and helpful information about how the fuck our bodies work. Cause it doesn't matter your gender identity. You need to know how you, these bodies work. And if you don't have that kind of body, you still came out of it. So there's something really powerful on a spiritual and kind of mythopoetic level, in my opinion, to literally study the physical source from whence you came. I think that anybody mm-hmm. with any kind of anatomy has a lot to learn about what it is to be human by spending time with and understanding the processes of the womb as mm-hmm. a nexus, right? Mm-hmm. As a portal. Yeah. Through which we all came at one point or another. It's like, it's your origin story. Mm -hmm. I love that. Recently, I've been introduced to the term seahorse daddy. And it's my new (laughs) most favorite thing ever when these trans men are are having babies. And I'm like, this is so beautiful. This is the future that I want. And somebody used the term seahorse daddy. And I'm like, that is the best thing ever. I think that's so beautiful that, you know, like men are having these beautiful babies. And like, I love that. It's, It's about informed consent. It's not like, I just want people to have good information. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, that's my goal. I think in terms of the way that I show up publicly, right. It's like, I'm not here to tell people how to identify. Yeah. Or that their identity is or is not valid. Like that's for them to work out. And that's, I mean, that speaks really to these like dimensions of Mm. my work, which is like, I always want to have a really clear foundation in physiology and provide people with clarity about physiology. And mm-hmm. on that foundation, we have such an amazing, expansive platform to explore sexuality, identity, spirituality, witchcraft, all of these really much more ephemeral and unique subjective aspects of having a sexual body, having an animal body. Um, but like, let's get clear about the physiology because we've been systematically misinformed about it mm-hmm. for a really uh. long time. And if you want to alter it with hormones or with surgery, like, I love you, I support you. And like, let's learn about that foundation mm-hmm. as a prereq so that when you're making that choice to change, you're making an informed choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for Thank asking. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious, what was your suggestion in working with the moon uh, for this person that you were working with? I feel like we just talked about like simple manifestation and release spell. Mm. Okay, yeah. Working with the energies of building and releasing, which are inherent to the menstrual cycle as well, where we have like the follicular phase where the egg is still in the follicle, which is the phase of the waxing moon and the full moon, which represents ovulation, and then the waning moon, which represents the luteal or the premenstrual phase. And Mm -hmm. that by working with those energetics of the moon and perhaps like an altar or fire creative process that Mm -hmm. was cyclical with the moon, that would be a way to connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember reading through your zine, your pamphlet, Please Bleed, your booklet. Yeah. How would you refer to it as? Booklet, zine? I struggle as well. Is it a book? It is a booklet. Uh, I I just graduated from like punk zines, right? That were just black and white printer paper stapled. (laughs) So, I mean, maybe they're books. I think I'm an author of books. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, it felt felt bookish. It's bookish. Uh, Yeah. So as I was reading through it, like, I, I mean, I feel embarrassed to admit even that, like, I have massive gaps in my understanding and knowledge of my own cycle. And um, only like in the past, I would say 10 years, which feels just like a blink of an eye, have I really begun to understand how to weave like my creativity, my power, 
um, in like my downtimes with my cycle and with the moon and like reading your please bleed was like, my, I was like, ah, this makes so much sense. I understand why I feel this way during this time in my cycle or, or things like that. And it was very helpful. Um, and I was reading it, the timing that you and I connected was while I was using the wild carrot. Yeah. Uh, and it <laughs> like, while I was ovulating, I was like, oh gosh, this is so, this is just too perfectly timed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you and for I that love- appreciation. Yeah. And I love what you're talking about with the cycles, um, kind of through this womb process and then this magic as well. So I remember there was a section in, uh, Mary Grace Farron's Italian folk magic book mm-hmm. where she's having a conversation with her Nona. And her Nona is telling her, like, you know, when you are going through this part of your cycle, like, don't make this type of food because there's too much power in your hands and you'll over tenderize the meat. Oh, yeah. And and or like my mom, even now she's going through menopause. And whenever she has a hot flash, she calls it a power surge. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, having a power surge. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. With this reframing, it's just. Mm-hmm. You know, I similar to my rage about screen stationary screen body <laughs> that I expressed earlier. I I have, you know, such exasperation that the illusion that these these processes of the womb and these transformations uh are are a thing of subjugation and suffering rather than a source of great power, the illusion the spell, the collective spell that needs to be broken is just fucking insane how thorough it is and how few people are awake to their power in this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of all of my, I come from a big family. I'm the oldest of six children. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of my mother, I think of my sisters and my brothers and how there's just like, there's no knowledge no like understanding of how this stuff operates Mm -hmm. and it's really depressing and like when i hear folks say like yeah they they dread their period or they dread menstruation and whatnot i'm like really like it's like it's like one of the the best times for me because that means i get to take a fucking nap (laughs) (laughs) i get to chill out and like incubate and dream um i'm curious if this is okay to ask Mm -hmm. what does your creative cycles look like um with like the moon and how do you integrate all of that how do you work with that because i think Mm -hmm. even in witchcraft and in the the realms that we're speaking here too is like it's Mm -hmm. it's not something that's very widely known or understood Mm. I'm like trying to think of like, what are the, what are the morsels that I could offer that would be tangible, digestible and succinct? Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Take your time. That's always the challenge. So I've been menstruating uh, for almost 23 years now. And I started charting it. I mean, this is here. That's a, that's the entry point. I started marking my moon blood on a moon calendar on my wall with a red Sharpie. (laughs) That was my first um, act of self-awareness and engaging with the moon and my blood. I I didn't start having really regular cycles until I started doing rituals for release on the dark moon after I had already uh, run away from home and uh, established my own living space, which was actually um, my studies of my my womb and my menstrual cycle health and my nervous system were uh, very, very influential in my choice to leave home at the age of 16 Mm. because I was like, my uterus will not heal Mm. unless I can get out of this house. Yeah. So, and I bled for a month when I first left and, um, then I started doing just like free verse, free association, writing and drawing of any aspects of my psyche or life or energy body that did not serve me that I was ready to release and lighting that on fire under the dark moon sky. 
Um, that's something I started doing at 17 and was pretty consistent through my early 20s. And I mean, there's so many different nuances, the ways that I work with my altar, the way that I work with stones and the moon cycle, the way that I work with my business calendar and my relationships. Um, it really is my ballast. I, you know, I plan my whole life around it. So mm. I don't know. Yeah, I could talk. I could speak more and more specifically. I don't know. If, like, is that is that sufficient for the moment? You could spork. Uh, spork. You could spork more. Get out. You could just spork it out. <laughs> you could speak more deeply to that. I'm, I'm just so curious because uh, I just don't know. I mean, I'm pretty, I live in a really rural, isolated, uh, conservative community. So when I'm like, yeah, I pretty much plan my whole life around my menstrual cycle and my cycles and they're ex- like, they're my lifeline and like the foundation. Yeah. For me, people are like, what? They're like, what? Like, why? <laughs> Like, don't you just take birth control and like not have a period? And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing that I would like to offer your listenership and you mm-hmm. is just this reality that the menstrual cycle needs to be treated like the weather. Uh-huh. For, for individuals who have them, as well as individuals who cohabitate with menstruators. Yes. And so being aware of the nuanced phases and the energetics of the menstrual cycle, just like moon magic, just like the the seasons of the wheel of the year and being able to respect that this is a force of nature that we all need to live in dynamic balance with humbly Mm -hmm. rather than try to control it right? This difference, this like illusion, this patriarchal illusion of stasis and control that has brought us industrialized agriculture, the medicalization of our fertility and birth and birth control pills, for example. Ooh, bookmark that to define contraception, actually, because we we haven't talked about herbs really explicitly. I want to get into that. That's my that's my next question is I want to, we almost always talk about herbs in our show. So yeah, we're going to get into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is also one of my rituals with my cycle, um, which I teach people about in my conscious contraception course. Um, By the way, it's just like all of the download of how I work with my cycle um, and avoid pregnancy and claim my power in that process. Um, My conscious contraception Skillshare is a Skillshare because I'm just like, these are my favorite skills. <laughs> these mm-hmm. are the skills that I have. I'm not training you or teaching you a method. I'm just like, I've been gathering these skills for many years and I want to share them. Um, but yeah, using amenagogues, which are uh, any kind of a plant that moves the uterus towards release in my premenstrual week in a very gentle and much more uh, like spiritual and essence way to be present with and encourage that shift, which is absolutely a shift of consciousness as well as physiology. And then I have those allies, those amenagogue allies in my circle, in an intimate relationship if I had an accidental sperm exposure, mm-hmm. I would be able to work with these entities, and I have in the past, where it's not like you're showing up at your neighbor's house with an emergency, like, holy fuck, what are we doing? Oh my God, oh my God. You're like, oh, hey, you know this thing that you help me do every month? Mm-hmm. It's go time with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, upping an herbal dose physically of those amenagogues, which interfere with the hormonal balance that allows implantation to happen mm-hmm. if there's been a conception. So um, I'll take a pause there. One of the really random thoughts that maybe we'll just like start slowing down and tying up loose ends here that just occurred to me 
as I was listening to your foundations podcast this morning mm-hmm. in my shower, um, <laughs> was the difference between prayer and spell work mm-hmm. and there being something there around a fertility awareness practice that is allied with plants and any kind of blood magic or sex magic mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. absolutely fortify this process of avoiding pregnancy and promoting the cycle, recognizing that that cycle is a portal of divine creative energy that connects us to the main line. Mm-hmm. And that that is more of a spell and that almost like taking pills is like more of a prayer. Love it. Interesting. I'm like, I don't know. This is, you know, a new thought I've had, but just like, I think it has to do with that internal external authority piece. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you fully co-creating and participating in your life and your power? Mm -hmm. Or are you in a state of reverence to a higher power and you're just like, I'm going to let go. And I feel like our fertility, especially in this particular ecological and human time, that it's not a time for prayer. It's a time for spell work. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Absolutely. I am the Venus Christ and I side for your sins. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it because you're... You're right. There's so much kind of like this authority thing that looms over a lot of this work, especially like, you know, you're talking about, you know, young people looking for contraception and they need notes from their parents and they need to go get an appointment with a doctor and have the insurance. And there's so much authority and red tape around it right now. That's so difficult to deal with when it's, you know, that's an illusion. Mm -hmm. It's such a complicated and insidious heavy spell and illusion that we need to consume from those industries that we need to ask permission that we need an external authority in the realm of our reproductive and sexual health in particular, but in general in life. Um, And I also don't want to say that those tools are evil. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just, I am an advocate for conscious consumerism in where we look at the medical industry with the respect that it is an industry that is built on white supremacy and slavery. There's a fucking paper trail. (laughs) It's very young. It's a very young industry and it has some really valuable goods and services that might help us in certain healing processes but we need to be treating it like those are goods and services that we're making conscious consumer decisions to consume from and recognize we're being sold something. Mm. Whereas when we are able to ally with our visceral experience of embodiment and spirit and sensuality through cycle awareness, fertility awareness and working with plants, Mm. um, we can make a, a more embodied sovereign choice and yeah i guess that's the the plug for the book the book is called please bleed plants and practical magic and it's all about what to do if you accidentally get sperm in your vagina Mm -hmm. oopsies happen it's best to keep it out of your vagina if you don't want to get pregnant just psa (laughs) (laughs) there's so many other great places for it there's lots of magical uses Uh, right Try not to put it in the vagina if you don't want to conceive. And then the other thing, I guess, I know we had 10 minutes. I'll just, and it does go deeply into this in my book and in my course. um, Just that when you conceive, that's not a pregnancy. And that's a whole other nuanced conversation that I would love to have someday with, with y'all around the spirituality and embodiment and like the reality that it's so much more permeable (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like how many adults do you know who are spiritually embodied? Nevertheless, like tiny zygotes or blastocysts that are smaller than the size of a period that might be floating around. 
in a uterus, like that a that a spirit or a soul is like, that's my blastocyst. <laughs> but like more often, like the spirit may be in the field, and there's ways that we can moderate both spiritually and physically to make sure that that tiny little conception doesn't attach itself to your maternal blood network. Mm-hmm. There are really mm-hmm. specific pl- practical ways to increase your estrogen, decrease your progesterone, increase your oxytocin. There's all these clear-cut biochemical ways that plants can support mm-hmm. menstruation rather mm-hmm. than gestation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole two weeks generally you know, not every anybody is a clockwork, but approximately there are two weeks between the meeting of the sperm and the egg and when it actually connects to the maternal blood network. Mm-hmm. So that's what Please Bleed is all about, is breaking down the anatomy and physiology of the process mm-hmm. of conception and implantation and how we can work with plants and work with spirit and ritual to make sure that we get our period. Mm-hmm. Mm. What I found when I read Please Bleed, because yeah, I read it at the moment where I had an oops and I took some wild carrot to help me out in my situation. I found that reading Please Bleed took away a lot of fear and then also slowed me down because there's like this intense sense of urgency that comes to the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where you're like, oh my gosh. I have to take care of it now. I have to run to the right aid. It has to be the morning after. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I was like, wait a minute. I have a moment. Yes. I can, I can breathe. I can feel into this. I can talk to the person that I did this act with and have a discussion with them about it. And it, you know, it all turned out fine. I got my period like four days late and it was like really intense, um, heavy bleeding and a lot of pain, but you know, it came, I was very happy for it. Um, but yeah, please bleed like really like slowed me down and like made me feel anchored. Oh, that makes me feel so happy. Mm -hmm. So please y'all go read, please bleed, please. Thank you. Yeah. We, I almost called it oops. (laughs) <laughs> I like please bleed. It's almost plants and practical magic for if you accidentally get sperm in your vagina. Right. Okay. Well, we only have a few moments. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I. Oh, I feel like we're gonna have to have a part two. Oh shit. Uh, because I want to talk plants with oh, you yeah. pretty badly. Who Who is your number one plant? Before we go to where we can find you, who's your number one plant ally right now? Ah, uh, nettle. Yes. Mm, yeah yep awesome <laughs> yeah drink your nettles drink your nettles make your spanakopita and your cupcakes and everything from nettles mm-hmm. delicious mm-hmm. cool all right sam this has been a fantastic amazing and very educational conversation with it's you it's been so um, nice to hang out with y'all and I've thank you so much for making so many of these concepts more accessible to people and being brave about sharing your personal processes and, and sharing your platform with my heart. Yes. Mm. Yes. I can't wait to share this episode. So where can we find you? Where can folks find your work? Uh, Everybody should read, please bleed. So where can they find it? On my website, which is my name.com, which is, which is, which is, which is Samantha. (laughs) Zippora, Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H.com. Um, I'm also on Patreon and you can read pretty much all of my work that I've created so far. You can access at various tiers on Patreon in addition to Q&As and one-on-one sessions and all the other goodies. So um, I very much encourage and desire people to come find me there. They can read the ebook of Please Bleed and then they can sign up for a session to actually get help with integrating the practices and support one-on-one. Um, so there that and the Instagrams at Samantha Zipporah. Cool. Cool. Love All it. right. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Yay. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Sam. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me.
Alrighty, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. And we hope that you learned more than a couple things. All right. Remember, do witchcraft. Do witchcraft. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.